0: On the Verge. On the Verge is presented by Callaway Golf. The Apex iron from Callaway defined a new category of player's irons. They combine the feeling and look of a forged iron with Callaway's leading distance technologies. With Apex, golfers experience an unmistakable leap in performance, and the new Apex is taking perfection even further. Callaway's 360 Face Cup, which makes everything better, generates industry-leading distance in the new Apex irons, and the unmatched feel will get every golfer's attention. This kind of power, distance, and control is not supposed to feel this great. Apex is in a class by itself. New tungsten weighting in each iron fine tunes launch and trajectory throughout the set, which delivers a new level of precision in a stunning player's shape. The new Apex is the ultimate forged player's distance iron. The unmatched feel and distance, playability, and control are redefining the player's iron category. Again, Once you experience an apex, nothing else compares. This is Callaway's best for the best. See perfection in every shot with the new apex at your local golf retailer or visit callawaygolf.com and see what makes Callaway the number one iron in golf. Welcome to On the Verge. Today's guest is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a board-certified neurotherapist who specializes in brain-based treatments, and trauma resolution. She is master trained in brain spotting, which is an innovative new treatment for brain based therapy. And the founder and CEO of Tennessee Neurofeedback, KK Ray. KK, how are you today?
1: <laughs> it just is funny to hear somebody read about you. I'm doing great, Virgil. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. Well, this is this is going to be the most important podcast I do because I'm. As a golf coach, I'm thoroughly aware of the fact that all of my players' talents, it first starts in their brain.
1: 100%.
0: So for me to coach them to reach their optimum level of performance, I have to figure out how to get into their brain first so that I can get into their muscles
2: mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm.
0: In the process of learning what it takes to be a great athlete, Golfer, than a great athlete, than a great whatever, Mm -hmm. I realized that there's a lot of traumas that occur in people's lives that some people wouldn't call trauma, and other people it's traumatizing beyond belief that we have to learn how to navigate as a coach because each person's different. Each person has different triggers, each person has different thresholds of pain, Mm -hmm. and what they're willing to endure. And in certain sports, endurance is not so much physical as it can be mental. And I then as I delved even farther into this challenge, I realized that we started heading into a scary place for a lot of people, which is mental health. Yeah. And there's not much that makes any sense about the stigma of mental health because everybody's chasing their favorite diet and working out at CrossFit, Iron Tribe, what have it. When it talks about any other kind of health, Mm-hmm. It's a positive thing, but when we talk mm-hmm. about mental health, it's not so much. Yeah. How did you get involved in this particular therapy, and what is it about helping people in this way so exciting to you?
1: Wow, that's a lot to um, to consider. Grateful to to be able to talk about it. I think I think I learned way way back um, that. Uh, well, at some point, the pain becomes so great within your own story mm-hmm. that that uh for for many people, the pain becomes so great that they have no other option but to embrace what's going on so mm-hmm. um a funny story i uh, i don't know maybe early mid thirties and it was when phone bills were so you know long distance you had to pay for and and David and I traveled, moved around a lot with his job, and our phone bill would be five or six hundred dollars <laughs> a month. <laughs> and he would he he said to me one night, he said, "Why are you, you know, you have all of these friends that are in crisis that you're talking to, and you're the one on Prozac?" And so it was it was kind of a a mirror for me to figure out what's going on with me. I'm giving out, but I'm not doing okay. And so that, that began a, a journey, and, and there have been, you know, demarcations along the way of, of things that have moved me from one place to the other. But um, in my own journey and also developing a, a practice um, to help other people. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say in recent years, um, to answer the question, what's happened in our profession is, like you, everything has moved towards brain-based type thinking, so, you know, 20 years ago when I entered into this field, number one, we didn't really think the brain changed, which was always kind of crazy to me because I would see people change and not understand, you know, if we don't believe the brain can heal or change what's going on here because Mm -hmm. people were definitely getting better and so now um in the last five years things are changing at the you know the speed of light we've we've got different modalities that just look at the brain and um change the brain and heal the brain and and what's happening and this is a great thing is the stigma of mental health um, when we move it into the realm of brain-based thinking, it's just a disease or a dysregulation within the brain. So people then can go, well, everybody's got that. Everybody's got something mm-hmm. that they've got to deal with. And now with the, with the technology that we have and, and, the, and the way that we approach things, it, it really does help remove that stigma. But, but the reason the stigma is there is because shame is so great. Um, shame sits in our brain, um, the same as physical abuse or um, emotional neglect. Whatever mm-hmm. it sits in there, and it, it literally puts the brakes on us to be able to move into another level of, of understanding or health. Because, because fear, shame feels like PTSD. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be vulnerable because that is too scary.
0: And. The thing that I've always found interesting about fear and pain is that it's like a roadblock. Yeah. But if you figure out how to move past a little wooden horse to go past the roadblock, yeah, yeah. you realize that it was your own gate that you put up. Not realities, not a reality gate,
1: right? Well, the reality is it's in a different part of our brain, Mm -hmm. even than you know, when you're looking at getting even getting into a player's brain, we can even now go, Well, what part of the brain do we want to look at? and and so. Um, the primitive part of our brain is where fight, flight, and freezes the response to, to fear or shame or whatever. And it definitely goes, um, it causes the rest of the brain to go offline. So that gate is 100% there, um, but it is our undoing. And it's, it's um, a reminder of something that's unprocessed. So the, the example I like to give is, you know, if there's some, if there's a, 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 veteran that's come home from afghanistan that's been involved in a roadside bombing he might be sitting in a restaurant in nashville and a waitress drops a plate before he ever even thinks about having heard that sound he's under the table so he's having a reaction that is what i call going home it's something that's sitting in his brain that's unprocessed Mm -hmm. so it makes sense for a roadside bomb but it doesn't make sense for a plate dropping in a um in a restaurant which he cannot control that's all non-conscious but now we can look at that and work through that to get him to the place that that unprocessed negative experience is now as opposed to being first person present tense it'll be third person past tense it's not that he forgets the experience; it's that his body doesn't respond in a way that is like he's still in afghanistan does that make sense oh
0: yeah i've I've often talked about the fact that uh the uh piece of the pie that was so fascinating to me is when you're watching like for who's the like the flood in Nashville two thousand ten yeah um it destroyed my house and my business mm. and i I sought some hypnotherapy help sure. from Steve Raim, who's one of the best in the world of. Making you misremember
2: yeah, your, yeah, your past. yeah.
0: So uh, I said that the flood now seems like a movie that I watched, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not something that I experienced. 100%. Like it moved into the yes. third person.
1: Third person, past tense. Yeah,
0: and, past and, tense. and actually the only thing that brings it back to life is the sound of a generator starting. Wow. That is so crazy, but that is the only thing that brings it back to life. Yeah, yeah. Is as soon as I hear somebody pull the cord yeah. and start a generator... That's part that I haven't had. Yeah, like, I'm like, oh wow, that was yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah, and to me, you know, as a as a coach trying to help kids achieve dreams, a, and I see the pain of failure, mm-hmm. um, and how much they they wear it like a badge in their next event. Yeah, when you have studied the the ramifications of over-emotionalizing a negative outcome. What is it that you are able to see through the the brain mappings or the neurofeedback readouts that is going on? And then how does that information allow you to help somebody who really wants to be great at something, yeah. but because they failed and didn't realize, this is, I think, one of the biggest issues. They didn't realize that failing is actually good, yeah. and they're learning through struggle to overcome yeah. and build a toughness. These 13-, 14-year-old kids, they go, they've heard all their life they're going to be awesome, mm-hmm. and then they get their first like competitive event, and they're in a room full of 140 other people that have only heard they're going to be awesome, and they finish 93rd, and they feel like the most gigantic disappointment yeah. to yeah. their family, friends, and themselves. Yeah. That they, they over emotionalize the pain and now they're traumatized. What is that you've seen that that shows up? And then how could you because there's gonna be people out there listening like, this is what's happening to my son or this is what happened sure. to me. What is that you see and how can we help?
1: Well, I would say the first thing that, that we want to look at is what goes on in that support system for that kid. Um, a kid's brain is gonna respond. Based on what's going on in his family system, so I like to keep kids away from any kind of intervention until we just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I would say is attachment and connection to that parent um, that's appropriate. Um, I'm I'm a big believer that kids have enough negative experiences that I don't think we need to put put roadblocks in their way. But when the roadblock comes, we you know it's a constant it's it, we're actually giving them experiences um, let me let me back up for a second kids brains don't just mature you know we a, a brain doesn't just grow up mm-hmm. a brain has to be guided constantly so every experience that you give that kid is giving them a new neuropathway or a different way to think about things um, that might be healthier and if you're not you know if you're sleep at the wheel on that the brain's going to figure out what it wants to and it's going to be very Mm self-protective so so the the first thing we want to say is um we want to help a kid learn how big a deal something is they don't have a way to kids brains aren't developed enough they're going to go from zero to a hundred or from black to white or white to black Mm -hmm. so so our job as parents and coaches and support Adults that have hopefully a mature brain can can help regulate that that kid through. How big a deal is this? Yeah, you know, and and I, I can remember our son, who's an incredible um, young adult now, his first cross country race in the sixth grade. He came in dead last by many yards, maybe half a half a field. Um, and and I can remember saying to him you know, let's just get to the car before you have the meltdown. Mm. And then we're going to figure out how big a deal this is. And, and what he would say now after processing it through, it's not that it's painless. Of course, it's embarrassing and all that stuff, but it doesn't have to settle in their brains as shame and, and, and negativity. And he would say now it was a good experience to learn that he could suck at something. You know, he sucks at cross country Mm -hmm. and that was a, that's, that was a new neuropath way for him to be able to, to, and he still retrieves that, that he was okay when he got through that. So, so what we, what we want to do is make sure that we don't shame them more. You know, people that are living vicariously through their kids mm-hmm. and, and their shame triggers are getting hit because their kid might not have performed well. That's the worst thing you can do. Oh, yeah. You know, but but to, to use it as an experience to, to say you survived it and it's over and also to develop that empathy component within their brain to go, okay, we want to remember this because now we know how it feels for other people. Yeah and then then that begins to be a position of strength as opposed to a position of failure or victim.
0: Yeah. There. That's so fascinating because we I believe that kids are dreamers because they watch whatever it is that they want to be great at, whether it's theater, music, sport. They watch it on TV. Well, what they watch on TV is the greatest in the world. Yeah. At <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And I want to be like LeBron. I'm going to be LeBron. I am going to be LeBron. Yeah. And then, you know, they they travel outside of their little, little neighborhood basketball group and they go to an AAU league at age 13 for the first time and they realize that they thought they were a big whale in the mud puddle and they were mm-hmm. actually just a little minnow in the ocean. Right. And that, that unrealistic buildup is so challenging because you don't want your kids to not be dreamers, but you have to throw in enough dose of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Of like what's it gonna take to get there? You know, in some ways, like it's hard to be talking about basketball unless you're over six foot five. Right. And it's like if you're not gonna be tall, we might as well move past that.
1: Well, and, and how do we and how do we deal with the fact that basketball might not be your thing? You know, and it and it be realistic as a parent. Yeah, don't don't be shaming, but we we want to give kids options of how to look at situations so that 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 there's not just good or bad. And and honestly, I think that rolls up to the parent and marital system many many times. Yeah. again, the kid the kid's getting set up. You know, I'm 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 just uh, I'm one of those parents I'm not even a helicopter parent I'm a velcro parent we moved in you know a block mm-hmm. behind the kid's school but but I think that I think that the we we don't prevent negative experiences we don't create positive experiences unless it's realistic yeah. but then we process because if you think about it brain based they have no highway for that nervous nerve impulse to go down until we help them create that mm-hmm and, it, and and every interaction is doing that so if we fall apart at the end of the track meet and cry for them and talk about how, how embarrassing it is to our friends that just gives them the the biggest message that their performance is where their value is yeah. and we really need to separate that
0: yeah i agree and it seems to me as i'm I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and my kids are getting older I'm paying more attention to things that I wasn't paying attention to or it's actually the truth. But I sense that there's more mental illness today than ever before. It's trending toward crisis mode.
2: It is, yeah.
0: And as I've fallen in love with what I call brain envy, you know, Dr. Daniel Amen was a... He helped steer me toward you. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I was just like, wow, I have, this is important. Yeah. And to, like, fall in love with your brain and, like, so, like, doing the the neurofeedback and the brain mapping, I was, like, going, something's not right. And then y'all, Tennessee neurofeedback helped me understand, like, you were correct to feel like you weren't right. Here's what's going on. Yeah and here's how we're going to help. So like the, the thing that I find fascinating is we might be seeing an accumulation or maybe even a better word is an accumulated depreciation mm-hmm. of mental mm-hmm. health mm-hmm. that poorly trained adults are training raw brains yeah. even worse than they were yeah. because they're traumatized by their their mom and dad's past failures. Right. So it's getting to the point now where it's so it's trending in an out of control pl- mode that there are m- probably significantly more unhealthy parents lovingly trying their best to pass on the best for their kids yeah and making things way worse and so like to me it's like we almost have to start in that that parenting model like the age group of right. the 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 parent should be considering neurofeedback and a, a, an understanding of where they are because if we want to move society forward mm-hmm. we can't rely on government to do it we got to rely on ourselves a group holistic effort to improve and I think we've I think it's fair to say we've probably learned more about the brain in the last 20 years than we do in the previous thousand
1: and maybe the last five more you know because it's going so fast yeah. but but you know you know, Virgil, um, when I when the when the uh, recession hit in two thousand eight, I changed the range of what normal anxiety was for my client load because because everybody had so much anxiety during that time, and so so we had to look around at what the culture was and and really adjust what kind of interventions based on what people were feeling, and I would say now in the last 2 years that, that that adjustments even broader than it was really? you know, in 08 and and someone asked me the other day what is it and i can't i can't really put my um i, I don't really know for sure but i think we've got such a charged um, political climate as a country and it's all in our faces through social media mm-hmm. um and and what what we're all doing is 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 and, and then our interactions our human interactions are are depleted or less um, people are isolated more and and it trickles down so so um as you're talking about a generation of, of people needing to parent or learn how to parent brain based parenting um mm-hmm. That's true, and also what we know is generationally patterns repeat and intensify, and we've proven that with what we call epigenetics, that our, our DNA is actually altered by negative experiences so so things you know i have high anxiety well that anxiety could come from two or three generations ago of events that i don't even know occurred Mm -hmm. you know so so i don't i don't really know what's going on but i do know even you know just in middle tennessee the epidemic of kids being in so much pain with anxiety is is never been greater um Adults, same thing. Uh, people's reactivity is just is is is, is much um, higher than it has been. So, so I don't really know the answer, but I do know the hope, and the hope is that that we have great modalities now to calm people down, to teach people, th- to have them train their brains to be calmer, um, yeah. and and great alternatives to something besides just. Medication,
0: yeah, because I really think there's the there's another big problem is just the medication, the over medication, the incorrect over medication on top of
1: that, one hundred percent
0: is a disaster, and uh, I'm I'm concerned on so many fronts because that that discipline got hijacked by money, right? For right. a long for a while, I think right. it's starting to. I think people are starting to like whoa. Pull well, back the reins a tiny bit?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, with, with neurofeedback in particular, um, it is, it is first-line uh, treatment for attention deficit, according to the American Pediatric Association. Well, Big Pharma, and not to offend anybody, but Big Pharma has been fined for squelching that research that we have good outcomes for actually changing the brain instead of just medicating it. And and interestingly, um, and this is important, about 85% of kids that we're putting on a stimulant now with ADD-like symptoms really have anxiety. So if you think about it, you're giving a kid a stimulant that already has a jacked-up you know, central nervous system. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're finding is... Um, you know, they ha they might have attention uh deficit symptoms, but their brain is really anxious, so you treat it totally different. That's so true. Yeah, and, and, and so what happens with a kid, you're medicating him with a stimulant, he doesn't like how that makes him feel. He's anxious, so at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old he gets stronger with his mama and says, I'm not taking the stimulant anymore and then he goes out and has a puff of weed or a drink of alcohol and is anxiety is finally calmed down well he's off to the races and there in lies the heroin epidemic yeah if that makes sense
0: absolutely so yeah that to me is uh that's a scary place so like one of the things that i, I constantly am for especially since i've met you because i didn't I mean up until august i didn't even know anything about you your the tennessee nerve feedback or that this kind of treatment was. Mainstream. I just knew that I had a device that could help people get in the zone. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really put two and two together about how I could get how that's eerily similar to repairing
2: yeah. the brain. Yeah.
0: So, like to me, I want to I want to help as much as I can get the word out about the actual positive change of changing your brain through neurofeedback and neuroplasticity and all the great things that you guys can do. But w- as a professional in this world. What can we do to change the stigma and to encourage people that this is really the best and easiest way? And if you're going to put money into better, yeah, this is probably, well, it's not probably, it is the best way to get you, your family, and everybody that you care about in a healthier place so that all kinds of progress can have an impetus to get going forward.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know it's uh, unfortunately, it's not mainstream as mainstream as we'd like it to be um yet I know uh, Nashville has one hundred percent embraced us. We have a very sophisticated population here that looks for things besides just normal um you know, write a prescription and take a pill for a symptom. So so we're really, really encouraged. And, and people can come from out of town. We do that a lot, too, for um, people from out of town. But I think the key is to say, okay, I'm going to go get an EKG in my heart or I'm going to go, you know, do a, a colonoscopy or whatever. We now can take a look at your brain and see how it's um, functioning. And we can, we can look at, you um, know, you know the gut brain relationship because that, that's the next thing that's coming. And it's already here. Is that you can't have a healthy brain without having a healthy gut, and um, and so we're 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 working on that with um with uh, our nurse practitioner in our office, and also Doctor Steffens, our medical director, is very good at understanding the brain gut connection. But but I think I think to think to consider, you know, neurofeedback is also. A great peak performance tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we've got people in um, in your world that that do it just to to stay on the edge and stay in that flow state and mm-hmm. those kind of things. But but to take the stigma off is just to say let's take a look at how your brain's functioning and let's get it functioning optimally. Just like why do you go to to golf practice because you want to practice that. That memory, I mean, obviously you say it a lot better than I do, yeah. but you but you got to practice to be good and and that's what neurofeedback is is brain training, yeah, and it's and it's just training the brain to be in the best possible shape it can be,
0: yeah, I think part of the the things that could help are going to be hard pressed to do it until somebody no longer cares about it, which is the people who could have the most influence to make the change to encourage people to go down this road. Are also using it for peak performance, and they feel like they're that's a hack yeah. that's giving them a huge that's advantage. Right. So they don't want to divulge that it, it's a huge advantage. But I mean, knowing that Tom Brady does it, knowing that many of the top quarterbacks out there are doing it, yeah, and knowing that you know golf's biggest nerd, Bryson DeChambeau, is doing it all the time, and there and Jason, the, the former number one player in the world, Jason Day, his whole career was saved by doing focus band uh-huh. and training that he was so left brained while trying to do a high speed function. Right. That he was slowing himself down so much in hypercritical analysis at 120 miles per hour, which is impossible to pull off. Right. He began to get the yips. Yes. With every club in his bag and he's yeah. like, I have to quit. Yeah. I'm a head case. And like, no, no. We can change that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like baloney, and next thing you know it took him 18 months, and he went from not being able to hit a golf ball mm-hmm. to being the number one player in the world strictly through a, a, not necessarily, it's only for golf, per- I mean, it's not because of golf performance, but it's for optimal performance only. It's not yeah. even measuring anything other than what part of the brain you're in. And when you're in that really deep right-sided place called quiet eye where your eyes slightly sink into your head and they become laser-focused, that's what target-oriented and it's sports require at elite levels, yeah. rifle shooters, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, pitchers, catchers, you know, all that yeah. whole thing. So they don't want to divulge that information. That's right. But <laughs> it, it, at the end of the day, somebody is going to have their life changed yeah. by it. Yeah. While achieving greatness. Yeah. And they will be willing to share how it You see me holding the Super Bowl trophy, or I'm wearing the Masters green jacket, or the NBA championship. But I was headed down a road of disaster, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing me celebrate this great moment. But if it wasn't for this treatment, training the brain, the training the brain, I would be in a really bad place. Yeah, that's probably what what we need more than anything. Yeah, and we're probably getting close to it.
1: I think so. I think I think the more people. like you um that are willing to say you know uh there were things that were going on with my brain that weren't perfect and now now we've gotten us back in line you know and um and yeah and 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 um you're right that a lot of it comes down to money um you know who's gonna make the most and who's gonna who's gonna protect that pile
0: yeah that's right um
1: but I think that, I think that, uh, at least our population here in middle Tennessee, which of course I love is very, very open, um, and smart. Mm-hmm. And so people are, are thinking, oh, wait a minute. What, what can we do differently and better?
0: It's, it's, it's what I love about Nashville is it's, it's a Southern city, but it's, it's, well, if it's not the most progressive mm-hmm. city in the South, because it, whether you like it or not, the stereotype is that it's you know, the South is not nearly as progressive as New York and Boston and Chicago. Sure. But I'm I, I believe that Nashville is so cutting edge on almost every front.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That it's staggering. And yeah. that's one of the things that's so fun to be involved in, which is why it's such a popular city right now. Right. Because people feel like they come here and it's not just because that they can have fun downtown. They sense that there is something different about Nashville, Tennessee. I one
1: hundred percent. And
0: it's it's pretty obvious. Yeah one of the the things that I'm expecting is the people that are listening out there is because everybody has a struggle everybody's struggling with something
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: that when you're trying to navigate life and you're sensing that somebody that you care about is struggling depending on how severe it gets I've sensed that one of the more popular questions is where do you draw the line Mm -hmm. between empathy and and resentment. Mm-hmm. And how do you help navigate that piece of, uh, you know, Carl, You, I understand that you're in a lot of pain because so-and-so has really been treating you mm-hmm. poorly mm-hmm. for X amount of days. Are you willing to undertake a possibility that this person doesn't want to do that? But can't currently mm-hmm. be any better than they are that would be empathy or is the pain then so deep from trying to help and that person won't get help that it turns to resentment yeah where do you help navigate the caretaker and I do maybe that's not, not, not the right word but the person who's trying to help somebody who generally can't help themselves sure
1: yeah that's a great question so a, a few answers on that one is and, and I don't know who taught me this, but certainly I didn't come up with it. But you always want to ask yourself, am I working harder than the person I'm helping? You know, I I think if the, if, (laughs) if you're trying to bring somebody along that, that just doesn't want the help, you know, if you're working harder, I, I talked to somebody the other day that, that, um, is helping someone go through, uh, a a messy divorce and, and they're, they're just totally depleted. And it's like, I think you're working harder than your friend that's going through the divorce. So that's a good Mm -hmm. indicator to that you need to back off. If, um, if that's the case, secondly, uh, I would say you want to ask yourself, um, I always say you can't take someone further than you've been yourself. So, so I, you know, if, if you're unwilling to have done the hard work yourself, you know, if if you're in a stage that you haven't been through that season, you know, I, I'm I've been very hesitant through the years to ever even speak about parenting. Well, I've got middle twenty-eight, you know, twenty-year-old kids now, so I've got a little bit of a track record. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't counsel people on their older adult children, but now you know, so so the question is, have you been there, you know, or are you are you outside your wheelhouse of level of experience? Mm-hmm. If you are, then you back off you know um and 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 then then thirdly what happens relationally that you you, you sometimes see is when you've got this dance going where somebody um, seems pretty darn not doing well toxic or 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 sick um you know you can peel that dynamic back and once you peel it back you tend to see that both people in the dance are not doing well mm-hmm. you know one One usually looks a lot sicker and might have more destructive behaviors, but you've got two people, the white space between people, um, those electromagnetic waves or whatever we're, we're looking at are not well. Mm -hmm. So, so many times you have to just pull the dynamic totally apart to see what's really going on because that white space might be making both people sick, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered, yeah. but...
0: Well, I mean, it does, because in, you know, there are a couple of things that were really profound there, which is you can't take somebody further than you've than you've been, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that think they can.
1: 100%.
0: There's a lot yes. of people that feel like they put on their Superman t-shirt and throw a cape on the back and feel like they're going to yeah. carry somebody to a place they've never been before, Yeah. and that's awful heroic, and some people's efforts are truly meant well, but fail epically because they're not prepared to do that and
1: also can be extremely offensive to the person that's not doing well you know Mm -hmm. Brene, brene brown's um work and research is is so excellent in that and what she just says is um you know if you haven't earned the right i'm not interested in your feedback which means you've you know you've gotten your hands dirty. You've been in the arena, as she describes yeah. it. You understand it, and you know nobody wants to be fixed. And so I think I think we have to be really careful in that.
0: Oh yeah, and it's the, it's so you know in some ways people can't help themselves mm-hmm. because of the feeling that you get inside when you help somebody yeah is so great
1: yeah. Yeah, and and what I tend to say on that with people is, and I, I've obviously learned it um, through my own life, is we got to look at our motivation for helping people. If we're doing it to feel good about ourselves, um, because there's a deficit within us, it's not a good motivation. Yeah, you know, and and that that type dynamic. Um, David Grand, the developer of BrainSpotting, is is. Very instrumental in helping me think through that term codependency. Um, He doesn't like it, and I really don't like it anymore. Um, You know, that's it, kind of dogs the person that's wanting to help. Where in fact, they probably have trauma, trauma in their history that makes them think that that's where their value comes from is by only, you know, divesting of themselves Mm -hmm. and only helping other people. Or they're being exploited by somebody that's taking advantage of that benevolence. And so what we, we want to look at is, okay, how are you responding to that need for connection? Wow. As opposed to, I'm just codependent. I just need people to need me. I, I think it's much more complex than that.
0: Yeah, I think so too. A good friend of mine, his name is Dr. Stephen Yellen. He's one of the best performance coaches in the world for sport, tennis and golf mainly. He talks about this word wholeness, mm-hmm. that sensation that you feel inside, like one of your chakras, like running right in your gut, mm-hmm. that gives you this sense of every part of you is on the same page and everything that you're doing has like a level of integrity and care and love and it's an all of those nice big words about what people would like to have. And it just makes you feel like mm-hmm. you're whole, like mm-hmm. My existence matters to myself and others, and the the being that I am brings out the best in me and in others, and that then extrapolates outward so that I'm surrounded by people experiencing wholeness, and that is what almost everybody on the in the world is looking for.
2: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And
0: yeah. people don't know how to like put that. How they, he does it better than anybody I've ever seen. But wholeness is such a unique thought because it's maybe not even attainable. It's just the most amount of wholeness that you can experience yeah. on a day-to-day basis is what people are searching for. Yeah. What is it that you could pass on about wholeness that is critical for everybody to be in search of in a proper way?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it has, you know, that has huge spiritual um, connotations to me. So um, based on my worldview, I think that there has to be a spiritual component to that wholeness. I think we are created, you know, to be whole and in relationship with other people. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so I I think that's the first thing. The other thing is I would take what he says and, and kind of chunk it down to a a modality that we use in therapy that is called internal family systems. And, and I, you know, I've kind of morphed it into something, um, that I use that that we have different parts within ourselves different you know in quotes family members so my thinking is that when we have a negative unprocessed experience through development we kind of have a part that that splits out there and stays that age Mm -hmm. so you know if you had a big trauma at five years old there's probably a five-year-old part in you um and and 12 years old 15 25 you know whatever and when when um triggers happen many times we disintegrate so we are we we want, um, as you're talking about, to stay as whole as we can, and we have to grab these parts and protect them and pull them in, so that we don't walk around acting like a five year old or a twelve year old. Um, uh, a colleague of mine uses a bus analogy. You know, we don't. We want the what I call the grown ass adult, which you would be saying is the whole person. Mm-hmm. We want that person, the grown ass man driving the bus. We don't want a five year old driving a bus in his marriage. Yeah. You know, or a twelve-year-old. We want the whole grown-ass man showing up, and 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 where we've had these unprocessed un, um, experiences, those triggers cause us to to regress or disintegrate to mm-hmm. those ages. So, yeah. so when I think of wholeness, I think of okay, let's get, um, of course, myself, which can disintegrate easily. Um, let's let's be aware of what shows up. You know, who's showing up, who's showing up here as we're talking, you know, Virgil, is it, you know, is it KK as a, as a grown ass woman or am I a 12 year old that's very scared about what is going to be put out on the airwaves mm-hmm. in our conversation, how vulnerable can I be? Well, as a, as a 55-year-old woman, I can be as vulnerable as I want to be. Yeah. But if I'm a 12-year-old, I'm scared, scared to death yeah. about some things. Does that yeah. make sense? Absolutely. So what we want to do, I call it a toggle in our brain, that we want to find a spot that we feel in our body whole. You know, the body-brain connection, that we feel whole, and we let that expand, and that's the place that we work from.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So. Well, one of the things that I do know for sure that people that live in the, the world that you live in where you're helping people, certainly in struggle or to come out of struggle into greatness, you have to be able to recharge your batteries. Yeah. you know, So like this this great thing that you're doing is a massive energy drainer, not because it's negative. It's just like it, you put so much into it and there's so much out there to help. Mm-hmm. When I start thinking about the second half of, of my podcast, it's like the communitas of like music, sport, and like food and wine and the things that apply all five senses in a heightened uh, awareness and an environment that elevate us to another level that recharge our batteries and allow us to be even a little bit better than we were at our very best last week. Yeah. <clears throat> music's been a huge part of my life, and i I almost feel like I have a soundtrack of my life as I'm driving along in the yeah. w- what's your What's your favorite music
1: that is a great question. I am a big country music fan awesome um that's really about all I listen to mm-hmm. um now, David and I are known, and you know shout out to david Ray um my better half we're known to ride around um on a Friday night and listen to tunes that we all listen to in the eighties, which, you know, with the windows down and singing at the top of our lungs, (laughs) Gladys night and stuff. But, um, I, I really enjoy whether it's sports or music or food. I like the people behind it. Mm -hmm. So, so I love, um, listening to music and living in Music City, of course, we know the people that sing the songs. Yeah. So, so I'm a big fan of the people I know that that sing. Well, who who are they? Um, well, I can't really tell all those, oh, you know, because those it. those might be um, clients. But um, but so so I I really I love knowing the songwriters that write the songs because I've been. Um, you know, honored to get and hear the stories yeah. of of why they um, write the particular songs they do. So, so that's where I sit with music. Same with sports. I yeah. mean, I don't care what sport it is. If I know somebody that's playing, or that you know, if you know somebody mm-hmm. that's playing, I'm going to be for them. Sure. So.
0: When so I, I I'm, I'm a big music guy. I'm, a, I'm more rock and roll than I am yeah. country. But I do like Kenny Chesney. and I do like Zach Brown and. I like good music. I yeah. went to see Pavarotti when he came to Nashville oh, like wow. 15 yeah. years ago. I'm yeah. like, I'm watching the greatest ever. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I might not know any of this, but I can feel it.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I can feel it. Yeah.
0: So like my, my favorite musicians, they talk to my soul. Like mm-hmm. they, they're, they are experiencing something different than me, but similar enough to me that I can ride their, their waves oh, yeah. of music. yeah. Yeah. And they help take you places. Yeah. And sometimes I listen to music that helps me with my anger. Sometimes I listen to music that helps me with my joy. And you know, it's kind of interesting how it ebbs and flows. But when when you think about you know the country music, I always told my dad when I was growing up I was a, just the biggest Guns N' Roses fan ever. Uh-huh. And that was just kind of me. I was a rebel. Yeah. And I I just felt like nobody spoke to me when I was sixteen, like Axel Rose could speak to me. Yeah. <laughs> And my dad was so into, um, like, country. And my dad loved Led Zeppelin. All of a sudden, he's no longer wanting to talk about Led Zeppelin. He wants to talk about George Strait. (laughs) I'm like, you're old. Yeah. yeah. You know you're old, and you're no longer a rebel. And you're just like, my dog died, and my pickup (laughs) truck took me. I'm like, come on, Dad. So now I get older, and I'm like... Listening to Kenny Chesney, Mike man, I kind of like Kenny Chesney. He like. can
1: he can tell a story. I'm telling you, those guys. That's what's so cool about knowing um, the songwriters that and the singers that write these things is, you know, where, where you you um, identify with with the the writing. I identify with their story. Yeah, and and getting to see their genius. You know, I I say there's a genius chip. And these guys that write these songs and then can perform them. Yeah. Um, and it's, I call it a mad genius chip, but man, their brains, the way that they can put words together, you know, um, Ronnie Dunn is a good friend of mine. Ronnie and Janine are great people. If you know them from Nashville, mm-hmm. but, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie puts words together like under the neon moon. I mean, who puts neon with a moon at a night at a night? I mean, just that, those two, three words, and you're just like, wow. Yeah. And so thinking about his story and the mad genius that comes behind, you know, um, being able to put those words together, it's, it's remarkable.
0: I would love to see. Like some type of measurement on the brain of what it's like to be Kenny Chesney singing when I go back, and he's got seventy thousand people, yeah, yeah, screaming, like because it that song means so much to so many so people. many people and to feel like you're a part of something that is obviously impacting at the end of the day it's millions of people but at that moment 70,000 people yeah the lights are on and you're this this guy up there with a guitar and a microphone and you sense that you're making a gigantic impact in the world yeah I cannot imagine what that reads like yeah it has to just be off the charts um
1: and and very humbling you know um when when you can when you can influence a group of people that that uh, I've watched a lot of those guys you know and and gotten to hear the stories of how their songs have impacted people I I was at a at a show for one guy and, and he he had a great song about losing his dad and watching the grief being processed um just in that concert hall was amazing yeah. because i mean, and people walked away changed, and music changes people yeah it 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 does and you know um it, there's that that it's just pure it's it's a different level, it's a spiritual level that that says that that I can create something and and move a you know as Kenny does he moves a whole stadium of people yeah you know to to think about putting that through their grid and, and it's healing. When somebody can, like you, you're saying, when they can take a take a piece of music, put it through their grid and identify with it, that gives the brain some healing power.
0: Yeah. I find, in that fact, that two of my favorite musicians, one is a guy named Maynard James Keenan. He's the lead singer of three different bands, but most notably a band called Tool. And then Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And so Maynard in his documentary, he talked about, he writes songs to get the pain out and he sings through the songs until he's worked through that pain. Yeah. And then he'll never sing that song again. Wow. Wow. And he says that in, you know, in the rock world, not that all musicians don't have, like all genres don't have trouble with people dying and yeah. suicide and whatever. Yeah. But rock is a, a, uh, yeah. a, an insane amount, right? He says the reason why people struggle is because they don't move past the pain. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they they keep singing the same song, and everybody wants to hear the same song, but they haven't moved past the pain that brought it there, and all of a sudden it becomes so big it's an animal. Yeah. And then Eddie Vedder, like, and and they're probably Pro Jam's first super great song was Alive, and it was about not wanting to be alive. Mm -hmm. And he stopped playing it for five years, and then he decided to change what Alive meant to him. Wow. And now he sings in almost every concert. And he, I was, watching the show in which he thanked all of the fans because this is going to be I didn't know what he was going to sing because I'm going to sing this I we've taken this off because it was killing me yeah and now this song is making me alive wow Wow. And he sang it for the first time in a long time and he talked about how he was no longer going to sing the song from the place that he wrote it from mm. but he's going to sing the song from the place his fans put him in. Wow. And I was like, "Whoa." Yeah. That is like the power of music.
1: That is and and that's also the brain saying, "I'm going to I'm going to create a new neural pathway." Yeah. That I can look at something totally different and that's where we want to have more options than just black and white or more alternatives to that. Wow. That's that's so powerful. Oh, yeah.
0: So powerful. Favorite sport team?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I vacillate. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I I really love um, the University of Arkansas. I'm a Razorback oh, to, nice. to the cellular level. Um, I don't follow them as closely as I used to. Um, but we kind of jump around where our kids are in school. Mm, and right now um, – our sons at UVA, so they had a great run in basketball. Oh, and yeah. I think just ran one either rugby or lacrosse. But uh, so we're big UVA fans, and our daughters at Notre Dame, so we're big Notre Dame fans now. Oh, and then awesome. local, of course. I I'm, I'm, I'm I I want UTK to win every game, and I love Vanderbilt and the Titans. I love Nashville and mm-hmm.
0: Nashville sports. So. What's the greatest sporting event you've ever gone to?
1: Holy cow. What would that be? I would really have to think about that. Now, my husband would be able to tell me right now. Um, It's so funny. While
0: you're thinking, I've had so many awesome experiences. I'm I'm all sports. My life is sports. Yeah. So, like, I've been to see a Penn State-Notre Dame football game when Penn State was one and Notre Dame was two. Yeah. In Penn State, I'm from Pennsylvania, so like I bleed blue and white. So that was like, yeah, I won that football game, yeah, for I've, sure. I've, i won that football game, I was like, no, 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 I won it, yeah. And then I went to see a, uh, a Broncos game, yeah, with you know, with Peyton Manning,
2: yeah, you know, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And,
0: they're, and they're gonna go in the Super Bowl, and I was like, that was unbelievable, yeah. And then my first Masters was like, unbelievable, yeah. But I would have to say that the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. Was the Ryder Cup, which is a golf, which is America versus Europe? Yeah, I went to Chicago, and it was a big event for me because I spoke oh, there. Yeah. For the that was my first opportunity to public speak in a large scenario. Yeah, and I killed it, and then went to the Ryder Cup, and it was like the most incredible energy. It wasn't like golf because golf is like,
2: shh, shh, shh. yeah, yeah, he steps up with the shot. Yeah,
0: you know, this was raucous. Hatred, but f- good hatred, yeah, between Europe and America, and it was the greatest comeback in the history for Europe on American soil. And I actually f- watched a guy from Europe make a putt, and the energy of probably thirty-five thousand people wow. moved yeah. everybody th- about four inches to the left. Wow! It was so literally, ab- literally, literally. the energy, yeah, picked up. An entire – because everybody's on their feet. There's no – Oh, like, yeah. It's just like, whew, Yeah. I just moved to the left a little yeah. bit. The, yeah. It was so loud and so powerful. And that was like something that I realized that I think is an important piece. When you're playing or doing something for something bigger than yourself mm-hmm. – Mm-hmm. epic level things are possible.
1: Oh yeah, the energy we we know so little about what energy between people and with groups of people do, but we are identifying that now. So mm-hmm. so it it's exactly what you felt is we get to and and it, and we should be mindful of that. I mean that we're giving off and receiving energy from other people constantly. Yeah. We used to think that was crazy. It's not. It's you know, we've got Twelve feet of electromagnetic waves around us that we're given off, and we can feel other people, but oh yeah, but yeah i think I think for me, um, when my kids are participating in some kind of sporting event, whether it's you know, I don't know. I, I just the energy that I feel, just and the pride that I feel watching them yeah. is probably. I would go back and say those were my
0: favorite. Yeah, because I guess I'm I'm heading into that world now. Yeah, I haven't had to experience that because yeah. yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, with middle school golf with with Lucas, but I mean pretty soon. It's gonna be something that I'm gonna be.
1: Oh, it's there's. It's just so fun to see your kids be separate from you and and be successful in something yeah. like that. It's fun. It's so
0: it's so fascinating. Yeah, I'm I'm a a big wine lover. I've studied wine a lot for a long period of time, and it's amazing to me. Like when you get say we get four groups of friends together, four uh-huh. like girlfriends and uh-huh. their husbands. you get them together, yeah. and you're gonna grill out so you're smelling the whatever you're making, and then you're you're with friends that you haven't seen, but it's like you haven't seen them in three years, but it seems like you haven't seen them since yesterday at four thirty yeah, yeah, and you so you get all those tinglies of all that going on, and then like wine has this very unique artistic impression mm-hmm. in a beverage that. Heightens your senses to a certain degree, and I just find it fascinating that every time I'm in an event in which great wine is served on top of the food and the grit, it elevates the senses to a place that elevates a moment that elevates us. Yeah, have you ever had any of uh, an event like that that's just so cool? That, That has to have. Wine or anything in it, but like a community toss of a group of people with other things, bringing other senses involved in it. That yeah. like really, yeah. you get home at the end of the day and you are like, "That was an awesome day." Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean that that goes back. I I wish I knew wine like you. Mm-hmm. I mean because I I do love wine, but I I, you know, being an Arkansas girl, Boone's Farm was our palate. <laughs> but um, but that that um the research that Brene Brown has done where she comes out very strongly and says we are hardwired for human connection, you know? And, and, um, and I think when, when you have all those senses, smell, touch, feeling, all of those things that, um, tastes that come together with, Within the context of of people that love each other or that love to connect with each other, you, you know that does put a deposit in you know in your soul, in your mm-hmm. heart, in yeah. your brain that word. says that says I um I'm in the I'm in the zone of of what I've been hi- hardwired for yeah you know so I think um any time we can put ourselves in situations that we feel uh, alive, yeah. I think. I think the daily grind we forget. Yeah. What being alive is, but, no, no but question about that.
0: that. I didn't think about this until just a second, but I, I, I want to hear your, your perception on this. Okay, so we're headed toward the age of AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. And we're headed toward a place where maybe something good is going to come out of it, in which they can download something. In you, to help you overcome something, be better than you were, because in some ways I almost feel like we, the matrix is in us. Yeah, we've yeah. If you can imagine it, you probably can come close to doing it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or really close to it. Even if you can't quite, we're not going to be able to fly. Might be able to take a plane. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you know, what's your feeling on the possibility? that humans will lose the ability to communicate like we're trending toward right now. And it turns into a phone that we rely on artificial intelligence to biohack our way back to a higher level of connection.
1: Dang. I hope we get there that what we're moving towards is back to connection and hardwired for connection. You know, um, and this is a, a freaking rabbit trail I'm going down. But you know we have brothels now in this world um, that are with robotics prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean that's insane perversion in my opinion. But um, uh, we 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 want to use whatever's developing the the direction we're going. We certainly want to push back on. Things that isolate us more as humans, yeah, you know we we want to be we've got to to thrive as a a society we've got to figure out how to to connect with people and be kind to people and build people each other up or or you know we're, we're headed for nothing
0: good yeah like to me i i've I listened to an awesome podcast with Rogan and Elon Musk,
2: uh-huh,
0: and there might not be anybody. F- is willing to talk that is more involved in AI than Elon Musk. And they broached the subject on that, that brothel type thing where it says, isn't it fascinating where you could do a test to find out what's going on inside of you and they could download what you need into a person
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so that you could experience what you, your brain and your heart need to move into a great place. And isn't that simultaneously as sick as hell?
1: So sick. and so scary and sad. Um, but yet there are people out there that are so starved for connection that they're willing to do the things that give them that, that dopamine hit yeah. in their brain, regardless of what it is. And that's why we, you know, we've seen the sex trade industry explode and, pornography, all of the things that we can get that dopamine hit from without ever. And, and our, our dopamine receptors morph into being unable to accept what human connection is, you know? So, 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 fascinating. so you're going point. for, you're going for more. And that's, that's why we call it a slippery slope. You know, that, that when, when you're, you're dabbling in things that are isolating to you and you're getting the dopamine hit in that, you know, um, you get that reinforcement that that's okay. Pretty soon that dopamine receptor says I got to have more of that. So that's the slippery slope where you have to have more to get, Mm, get that same feeling. And therein lies what causes addiction. But, but I really hope that as we, you know, we gain the insight and become more enlightened as a culture, which I think is happening, that we will use that for good and use that for human connection.
0: Good somehow. And I don't know how, good somehow always triumphs
1: it does it's
0: It's so crazy yeah because like we're trending like we feel like 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 it's never been better and worse simultaneously right now yeah like we just see so much pain and so much struggle but we see so much awesomeness yes at the exact same time yes that you just have to believe that it's going to continue on like good is going to conquer
1: i believe that um, and, and, you know, shout out to a guy, um, Richard Rohr, who I really like a lot of his stuff, ROHR. And, and he talks about that, that good is good is hardwired in us. Mm-hmm. Love is hardwired in us. And, and, um, we got to look for it though. We got to go for it. So
2: yeah,
0: no doubt. Well, my last question, if you were given a super hero power. What would it be, and why?
1: Wow! I mean, I'd love to
0: fly. Who flies? Superwoman? Does she fly? Mm, I think so. I don't think did one. woman didn't fly.
1: Maybe Wonder Woman. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably like to fly. I, I think it. I don't know what superhero is really, really organized and can get things done fast <laughs> and on time. And and you know, you walk in and all her. Ducks are in a row, that would be um, a superpower
2: I'd like to have. <laughs> That's
0: a great superpower <laughs> right there. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to help all of us understand that mental health is not, it should never be considered a stigma, but it is something that we're one of the things that are going on in the world today that is making a progressive move forward, although still in the shadows. I'm, I feel gain, yeah. gaining yeah. some light, how it can help and why it can help and uh you've been an unbelievable resource to myself and my clients and the business that you're doing is so cutting edge and so badass thank you that i can't help but want to support and do everything i can because that's part of what this is about for me which is i'm trying to push all kinds of performance boundaries and get different perspectives on what it takes and to overcome the struggle yeah. is everybody's challenge
2: yes yes
0: and to know that there is a way that is healthy and uh, couldn't be healthier actually to overcome those struggles and become bigger faster stronger and better for everything in your life I thank you for that
1: well thank you for having me and thank you for for um, cheerleading for us it means a lot um, so so, and congratulations on your first season of the podcast. This you. is awesome.
0: Thank you very much. Callaway isn't just pushing the boundaries of driver technology. They're pushing ball speed further than humanly possible. The new epic flash driver with flash face technology features Callaway's first ever driver face engineered with artificial intelligence. By harnessing this power, Callaway was able to create, test, and refine over 15,000 different faces to find the absolute fastest one. The way speed is created has been completely transformed. Learn more at callawaygolf.com slash AI.